Howdy folks. Today we are going to talk about bribery and we're going to take some thoughts about bribery eh, from a little bit of a different perspective and think about the subject matter in a different way. Just to get your brain working in the way that mine is in the presentation of, of this particular Bible study, I want you to ask yourself, do you have a price? You see, Jesus in Mark chapter 8, verses 34 through 38, called the people unto him with his disciples also. And he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. That question, what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? You know, the world thinks you have a price. And for some people, that bar is really low. For others, it's a little higher. But for the faithful, there is no bar. This is what we want to think about. And to think about it from the right perspective, you've got to ask yourself, if you have a price, what's the real value in it? And we're going to talk about some applications as we go through our study today. But in general, what does a sinful life really bring forth? In Romans 6, 21, what fruit had ye in those things whereof ye are now ashamed, for the end of those things is death. Paul writes that to the saints in Rome who had been converted to Christ, who have walked away from carnality to a degree. We know, I'm saying to a degree because when you get to chapter 8, there were obviously people in Rome in the congregation that were still struggling with carnality. But coming back to our subject matter, what, what, what do you gain from it? What, what did you get that is worth losing everlasting life with God the Father, the Son, the Spirit, the angels, and the faithful. What is the trade value there? Do you weigh that out? Moses, without any of the information that we have regarding Jesus Christ and everlasting life, he weighed it out. He's, you know, the Hebrew writer in Hebrews 11, 24 through 26 says, By faith, Moses when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin, notice this, for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect under the recompense of the reward. And folks, that's when the promises of the new covenant are a mystery. It's before Moses is called to be a prophet and, and is revealed unto him things that he prophesied concerning Christ. Even without nearly any of the information you and I have access to and the information we have in the New Testament, Moses weighed it. 
said, I'd rather suffer with God's people than be rich in Egypt. How much greater ought it to be for us today whom have the knowledge of the revelation of the riches in Christ for all eternity? But you see, that's where bribery comes into our thought process. The, the English word bribery, as defined by the New Oxford American Dictionary, means to persuade, persuade someone to act in one's favor, typically illegally or dishonestly, by a gift of money or other inducement. So, hey, what will you give in exchange for your soul? The illegal aspect, the breaking of God's law. You know, when Solomon wrote the book of Proverbs, he said in Proverbs 1 verse 10, My son, if sinners entice thee, consent thou not. You see, sinners are out there saying, we've got something for you. We want you to jump in with two feet and take hold of what we have to offer and trade off. Well, what is the trade-off? What, what are you really getting? And in whose favor are you actually acting when you decide to commit sin? 1 John 3, 8 says, He that committeth sin is of the devil. For the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. In whose favor are you acting? Not your own. Remember the Romans 6, 21 point. You had no fruit in those things. Think about Satan's approach with Eve and, and as it relates to bribery. Right? Back in Genesis 3, the first six verses, the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God hath made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God said, you shall not eat it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said unto the woman, ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be open. Ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise. She took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also to her husband with her, and he did eat. Notice how Satan enticed her. He persuaded her to act in his favor, to break God's law by offering her, hey, you'll see things as God's. Mm. She took a bribe to a degree, in an essence. Now, think back to Jesus' thoughtful question. You know, from Luke's account, Luke 9, 23, 26, he said unto them, If any man come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. Whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. For what is a man advantaged if he gain the whole world and lose himself or be cast away? For whomsoever shall be ashamed of me in my words, of him shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he shall come in his own glory and in his Father's and of the holy angels. What are you advantaged, even if you gain the whole world, but the exchange is your soul? What are you advantaged? You know, the world says, come and get this or come and get that. The world thinks you have a price and unfortunately, folks, most people do. Most people have a price. And the world is willing to offer it. But see, 
even when people think, oh, man, it would take a lot for me to da 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 The prices are so small. Think of men and women who commit adultery or any act of fornication, which is unlawful sexual intercourse. These temporary moments of pleasure that they give in exchange for their soul. You know, <laughs> there's not a good exchange rate there. You have lost your soul for moments of pleasure. And for a lot of people in this world, those moments of pleasure end up being not only costly to them in the spiritual, but sexually transmitted diseases, unwanted pregnancies, breaking of other relationships, and all types and sorts of other troubles that sin very often presents in the lives of people. Sin does not just destroy your soul. It also attacks your physical life in this world. And for some odd reason, listen up here. For some odd reason, people are stupid and they don't see it. They just don't see it. One of my brethren works in a hospital and he talks about people that come in with all types of problems from alcohol and different types of things. And it's, it's these moments of pleasure and they're losing their soul as well as their physical well-being in this world. So your moment of pleasure has such a high price. It just shows how stupid people are when they're committing sin. I've been there. And you got to wake up. You got to wake up and you got to say, this just isn't worth it. The bribe is not worth it. What I'm giving up just is not worth it. When we talk about bribery in general, okay, the idea of bribery, and, and from the sense that you would normally think of it, right, is, is it perverts. Back in Exodus 23, 8, thou shalt take no gift, that means bribe, for the gift blindeth the wise and perverteth the words of the righteous. Think about that. Bribery is blinding and perverting. In Deuteronomy 16, 19, Thou shalt not rest judgment. Thou shalt not respect persons. Neither take a gift. Again, meaning a bribe. For a gift doth blind the eyes of the wise and pervert the words of the righteous. Moses repeats this. Look. When we allow somebody to entice us by offering us something in exchange for our soul, we're in essence taking a bribe. And that bribe is blinding. It's perverting. Think about that. In Psalm 26, 9 and 10, Psalmist says, Gather not my soul with sinners, nor my life with bloody men, in whose hands is mischief, and their right hand is full of bribes. Sinners, bloody men. That's the people who take some type of gift in exchange to act in favor of something, to do something that is unlawful. We look at our creator. He can't be bribed. In Deuteronomy 10, 17, the Lord your God is God of gods, Lord of lords, a great God, a mighty and terrible, which regardeth not persons, nor taketh reward. That means bribes. You can't bribe him. Second Chronicles 19, 7, 
Wherefore now let the fear of the Lord be upon you. Take heed and do it, for there is no iniquity with the Lord our God, nor respect of persons, nor taking of gifts. Again, gifts, bribes. He does not take bribes. What do we learn from that? Well, be ye followers of God as dear children, Ephesians 5 verse 1. Learn from God. Don't be able to be bribed. People that are bribed will do all types of crazy things. In the sense that you normally think about bribery, some of the scriptures, like Deuteronomy 27, 25, Cursed be he that taketh reward, meaning bribes, to slay an innocent person. And all the people shall say, Amen. People can be bribed to commit murder. In 1 Samuel 8, 1 through 3, it came to pass when Samuel was old, he made his sons judges over Israel. Now the name of his firstborn was Joel, the name of his second, Abiah. They were judges in Beersheba. And his sons walked not in his ways, but turned aside after lucre and took bribes and perverted judgment. Look, his sons were for sale. His sons were for sale. They should have been the next leaders in Israel, but they were for sale. Bribes are powerful, can pacify anger. Proverbs 21 and verse 14, a gift in secret pacifieth anger and a reward the bosom strong wrath. In Isaiah 1, 21 to 23, how has the faithful city become a harlot? It was full of judgment, righteousness lodged in it, but now murderers. Thy silvers become dross, thy wine mixed with water, thy princes are rebellious, companions of thieves. Everyone loveth gifts, meaning bribes, and followeth after rewards. They come, they judge not the fatherless, neither doth the cause of the widow come unto them. Taking judgment and perverting it, hurting defenseless people, it's terrible. People will do all types of terrible things when you think about bribery, like justifying the wicked. Isaiah 5, 22 and 23 says, What are them that are mighty to drink wine and men of strength to mingle strong drink, which justify the wicked for reward and take away the righteous of the righteous from him? The word reward meaning bribery, bribe. They justify the wicked. You will afflict just people. You will do harm to good people when you are willing to take a bribe. In Amos 5 verse 12, I know your manifold transgressions, your mighty sins. They afflict the just. They take a bribe and they turn aside the poor in the gate from their right. It's terrible, folks. When we look at the New Testament, what did Judas do? Judas consulted, took a bribe, Matthew 26, 1 through 4, and 14 through 16, 30 pieces of silver to betray Jesus. 30 pieces of silver to kill the righteous Son of God, the only begotten of the Father. When Jesus is resurrected, Matthew 28, 11 through 15, they were going, behold, some of the watch came in the city, showed unto the chief priest all the things that were done. When they were assembled together with the elders and took counsel, they gave large money unto the soldiers, saying, Say ye, his disciples came by night and stole him away while, while we slept. And if this come to the governor's ears, we will persuade him and secure you. So they took the money 
and did as they were taught. And this thing is commonly reported to the Jews unto this day. You could be bribed to lie about the most significant event in human history, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Why do I call that the most significant event? Because that is, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the cornerstone of our faith. If Christ isn't risen from the dead, then our faith is in vain. We're still in our sins. Read the chapter. Wonderful stuff. Men were able to be bribed to lie about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior. Literal bribery in the Bible that way. So just take that principle, right? How's the world enticing you by offering you something to persuade you to do something in their favor? Something that is wrong. Now come, come to some, some points of reason. What in this world is worth you selling your soul for? In 1 John 2, 15 through 17, it says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Whatever this world gives you, it's why Jesus said, what advantage is there to you? Whatever this world gives you, it is temporary. It only lasts as long as the world lasts and or you are alive. Think about riches, for example. One of the things that seems to entice most people on our planet is the idea of wealth. Well, Proverbs 27, 24 says, Riches are not forever, and doth the crown endure to every generation. I mean, you shouldn't even need a Bible verse to tell you that. You can't take it with you, right? What's it going to do for you in the long run? And Psalm 49, 6-12 says, They that trust in their wealth and boast themselves in the multitude of their riches, none of them can by any means redeem his brother, nor give to God a ransom for him, for the redemption of their soul is precious, and it ceaseth forever, that he should still live forever and not see corruption. For he seeth that wise men die, Likewise, the fool and the brutish person perish and leave their wealth to others. Their inward thought is that their houses shall continue forever and their dwelling places to all generations. They call their lands after their own names. Nevertheless, man being in honor abideth not. He is like the beast that perish. Think, you don't really need the Bible to tell you that, do you? You drive around this country or or you look around in your area and you might see some beautiful homes that were built in the early 1900s or, or that have been around for 80, 90 years, right? Well, what happened to their original owners? They're not inhabiting those homes. Someone else has it, right? We can see that with our own eyes. Solomon, Ecclesiastes 5.13 says, This is a sore evil which I've seen under the sun, namely... Riches kept for the owners thereof to their hurt. Wealth doesn't last forever, and it's going to harm you when you trust in it. How about sexual pleasure? For those of you who have ever embraced somebody, lawfully or not, to get that type of pleasure, you already know that that pleasure doesn't last forever. If you've not 
indulged. It's not very difficult to be reasonable about. You go to bed with somebody, you're not going to be in bed with them every moment of every day. It's only going to be for a short period of time. In Proverbs chapter 6, 20 through 35, Solomon says, My son, keep thy father's commandment and forsake not the law of thy mother. Bind them continually upon thine heart and tie them about thy neck. When thou goest, it shall lead thee. When thou sleepest, it shall keep thee. When thou wakest, it shall talk with thee. For the commandment is a lamp and the law is light and reproofs of instruction of the way of life to keep thee from the evil woman, from the flattery of the tongue of a strange woman. Lust not after her beauty in thine heart Neither let her take thee with her eyelids. For by means of a whorish woman, a man is brought to a piece of bread. And the adulteress will hunt for the precious life. Can a man take fire in his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Can one go upon hot coals and his feet be not burned? So he that goeth into his neighbor's wife. Whosoever toucheth her shall not be innocent. Men do not despise a thief if he steal to satisfy his soul when he is hungry. But if he be found, he shall restore sevenfold. He shall give all the substance of his house. But whoso committeth adultery of the woman lacketh understanding. He that doeth it destroyeth his own soul. A wound and dishonor shall he get, and his reproach shall not be wiped away. For jealousy is the rage of man. Therefore he will not spare in the day of vengeance. He will not regard any ransom. Neither will he rest content, though thou givest many gifts. Think about this. You go out and you commit a sexual sin like adultery. Adultery would be your involvement with somebody that is married or maybe you're the married person. The person to whom is innocent in this, the spouse, yours or the other person's, do you think they're just going to be like, oh, cool, okay, hope y'all had fun. Now, I know that's a growing thing in culture, but the truth be told, that jealousy is going to kick in. Man, the results of that, the ruin of marriages, relationships, all that comes along with that for moments of pleasure. And then the end, you're lost for all eternity. What good is that? What advantage have you gained? What about worldly fame? What if you were able to get your 15 minutes or it turned into 15 years? What have you gained? In John 5, 44, Jesus says, How can you believe which receive honor one from another and seeketh not the honor that cometh from God only? What good is the honor that comes from men? Even if it comes with getting a fortune, right? Proverbs 28, 6 says, Better is the poor that walketh in his unrightness, up, uprightness than he that is perverse in his ways, though he be rich. What, what have you gained? So what? You've gained notoriety. You know, people do amazing things, and then they're forgotten. Take, for example, in Ecclesiastes 9, 14 through 18. There was a little city and few men within it, and there came a great king against it and besieged it and built great bulwarks against it. Now there was found in it a poor, wise man, and he, by his wisdom, delivered the city. Now, I'm just going to stop. He's going to be famous, right? Notice, Yet no man remembered that same poor man. <laughs> he delivered the city. You know why nobody remembered him? The text goes on, Then said, I wisdom is better than strength. Nevertheless, the poor man's wisdom is despised, 
and his words are not heard. The words of a wise man are heard in quiet more than the cry of him that rules among fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroyeth much good. Even though he did something amazing, because he's poor, nobody considered it, remembered him. That's the world that if you want fame, you're trying to become famous in. That's the world. Now, I don't know if you're a fan of the National Football League here in the U.S. or not, but there's a, a famous person that appears at certain games because she's dating a NFL player. And it's become quite the deal because the cameras like to focus on her. And there are people on both sides that are upset for this or upset for that. This person is famous because they're a performer. How famous do you think that person is going to be once they stop performing? Or some other performer rises above them. You see, fame is temporary. And the cameras will fade away. What have you gained? What are you advantaged if you get famous in this world, even for a generation? What have you gained? We read books and see plays and, and movies that are authored by dead people like William Shakespeare. What has he gained in his fame? He's not even alive to see Romeo and Juliet being carried out in a play. What's he gained? What advantage does he have? Even if your fame goes beyond your days on earth, what have you gained? Hey, how about if you get authority? You become president of the United States of America. I don't know why you'd want to become president of the United States of America and the United States of America aren't really united, right? I don't know what you, why you would want that. But let's say you become what the world sometimes and what our nation always says, or most often says, the most powerful man on earth. Romans 14, 11, 12, it is written, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. Your fame, your power, your might means nothing when you stand before Jesus. How about if you become the smartest person on earth? You're a genius. You're the most educated person that you know. What have you gained? What have you accomplished? So what? So what that when you sit in the room, everybody knows you're smarter than him or her. What have you gained? In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 18 through 21, says, Let no man deceive himself. If any man among you seemeth to be wise in this world, let him become a fool that he may be wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it is written, He taketh the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knoweth the thoughts of the wise that they are vain. Therefore, let no man glory in men, for all things are yours. So in the eyes of God, you've got nothing. You've got nothing. What if you take the bribe of being a party animal 
and you've got all the wealth and everything else that comes along with that and you're out just having a ball and you're party, 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 party. In Luke chapter 12, beginning in verse 16, through down through verse 21, spake a parable unto them. And he spake to two men that wanted Jesus to divide the inheritance that they had. He said the ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, what shall I do? That I have nowhere to bestow my fruits. And he said, I will do. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee, then who shall those things be whom thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. So I'm going to eat, drink, and be merry. You know what that's going to make me in the judgment? A fool. A fool. Think about that. If the world says become a wealthy party animal, what advantage do you have? What have you gained in taking the bribe in exchange for your soul? If this world offers you all that it has so that you can indulge in temporary pleasures of sin and you take it, and by the way, no one that I've ever known or seen or heard of gets offered everything the world has. But just for an extreme, what you're giving up is eternal life. You're not going to inherit the kingdom. In 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and 10, know you not, the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. In Galatians 5, 19 through 21, the works of the flesh are manifest. Which are these? Adultery, fornication, uncleanliness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. Of the which I tell you before, as I've told you in times past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. You lose all eternity. Besides the fact that you even suffer in this world, I want to come back to the eternal point. But just let me reason with you for a moment. Just let me reason back to the what good does sin bring forth, Romans 6, 21 point. Look at the world. I, I, I had a, I'm, I'm going to say an advantage, though I think most would consider it a disadvantage. But for me, I've turned it into an advantage of growing up for the first 14 years of my life in an extremely worldly household. My mother, my brother, 
uh, both of whom are deceased and who exchange their souls for things of the world, they indulged in sin. So my brother had multiple children. I don't even know how many. I know of at least two that he was not a father to. The women he abused. He was wrapped up in drugs and alcohol and all other sorts of crime. He was miserable. Prior to his death, within about a month of his death, he called me and told me he was miserable, that he was afraid that he was going to be killed. I offered him a way out, but he was so caught up that he didn't take it. And before that, other people offered him ways out, but he didn't want to take it. He, it was the world became a torture to him but his feet were planted therein as one stuck in concrete that has set. And though the world was killing him, he could not move his feet to get out. He did not enjoy his life. My mother, same types of things. The most dishonest person I've ever known had zero earthly relationships that lasted because she was manipulative, destructive, drugs, alcohol, extremely unhealthy, always miserable, died virtually alone. Both are in torment Luke 16, 19 through 31. They gain nothing in this world, nothing at all, and lost their soul for moments of destructive pleasure. I got to see that growing up. So the world to me is not all that attractive. I know the trade-off. I count that an advantage. Look around the world. I'm not talking about Facebook or the television where people are putting on fake smiles. Look around the world from the perspective of who's in emergency rooms. Look around the world from the perspective of who is looks to be having fun but their relationships are destroyed. Look around the world with godly eyes and see that the pleasures of sin are so temporary and the cost in this world, not only in the life to come, but in this world is extremely high. But even if you're duped, and you think all these people are having a blast, right? You think about people at the pinnacle of their life 
Look, look at the sports world and and you think about Tom Brady, just the, the GOAT, the greatest of all time, right? He's divorced. He's split up from his children. He's divorced. I don't know if he's been married multiple times. I don't know that much about his life. But he has children from multiple women. He's happy, right? No, he's not. He smiles for the cameras. But he's a person of the world. And this world does not provide joy. Now let's come back to the ultimate point. Even if you're duped by the world's bribe to think that you can be happy in the here and now by exchanging your soul, you need to think about the everlasting, the eternal. In Matthew 25, 31 through 46, when the Son of Man shall come in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory and before him shall be gathered all nations and he shall separate them one from another as a shepherd divided the sheep from the goats and he shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then shall the king say unto them on the right hand, Come ye, blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungered, and ye gave me meat. I was thirsty, and ye gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw thee hungered and fed thee, or thirsty and gave thee drink? When saw we thee a stranger took thee in, or naked and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick or in prison and came unto thee? And the king shall answer and say to him, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as you have done it unto one of the least of these my brethren, you have done it unto me. Then shall he say unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed it into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungered, and ye gave me no meat. I was thirsty, and ye gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you took me not in. Naked, and you clothed me not. Sick, and in prison, and you visited me not. Then shall they also answer him, saying, Lord, when saw thee we hungered, or thirst, or stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister to thee? Then shall he answer them, saying, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as ye did it not to one of these least, ye did it not to me. These shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. Which do you want? If you want everlasting punishment, go ahead and take the bribe. If you want everlasting life, refuse it. And then weigh, weigh it. Again, back to the carnal. Godly living is beneficial not only in the eternal, but in the immediate, in the carnal. Think about those of us who are in Christ. This world is a terrible place to live in, but we have a escape. We have multiple escapes. You know, the first day of the week, two days ago for me, I get to assemble with my brothers and sisters in Christ. I don't forsake that assembling together, Hebrews 10, 25, where I get to be edified and comforted, 1 Thessalonians 5, 11 through 14. We get to be among brethren where we're built up and comforted. Whatever we are going through in this world, whatever this world's throwing at us, true relationships that are going to last forever by being among brethren. And when I'm not among my brethren, 
Philippians 4, 6-9, be anxious or careful for nothing. But everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Number one, I have a prayer opportunity. You don't have that if you're unrighteous. God hears the prayers of the righteous, 1 Peter 3, 12, not the prayers of sinners, John 9, 31. The text goes on in Philippians 4, and the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. See, I've got that peace so that when the world around me crumbles, I can shrink into my spiritual relationship with my eternal father and escape what's going on round about me. Paul continues, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of a good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. Paul's able to give this counsel because it works. Him and Silas are in prison in Acts 16. They're praying and singing. Why? Because they're able to redirect their minds. It works. People in Christ can redirect their minds. People in the world need medication. In 1 Peter 3, 10 through 12, it says, For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil, his lips that they speak no guile. Let him eschew evil and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous and his ears are open unto their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. I made reference to verse 12. Look at it in its context. If you want to love life and you want to see good days, live aright. Seek peace. You can have that in Christ. And then that carries on for all eternity. The promise that he promised to the Christians is eternal life. 1 John 2 and verse 25. So for Christians, we're looking not to take the bribe, but to make the eternal investment. In Matthew 6, 19 through 21, Jesus tells his disciples, lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Where's your treasure? If it's on earth, what's going to happen to it? It's going to burn up, right? Second Peter 3.10. You know why godliness with contentment is great gain? First Timothy 6.6. 6? Because we brought nothing into this world, and it's certain that we can carry nothing out. You're not going to take whatever bribe this world has to offer to you. You're not going to take it with you beyond this world. And most of the time, whatever it is in this world, you're going to see come and go even while you're alive, including money. What good is that? What good is that? What have you gained? This is a little different way to think about bribery. But you need to understand that when the world is enticing you, that's exactly what's being that's exactly what's occurring. You're being offered a bribe to trade your soul for temporary pleasure. Which, even in this world, that temporary pleasure is just not worth it. Solomon said in Proverbs 15, 27. 
He that is greedy of gain troubleth his own house, but he that hateth gifts shall live. That word gifts means bribery. Whether we're talking about bribery in the sense you'd normally think of it, or in the way that I've used it kind of abstractly today, don't take the bribe. Living righteously, godly in this present world, is worth it in the life that now is and is above all things as far as what is offered and the life to come. Take what the Lord offers, not what the world offers. I hope this has been a thought-productive uh, Bible study for you. If, if I can be helpful, my contact information is right here wherever you get in this podcast. Get a hold of me. I thank you for listening. Until next time, I'll say goodbye.